Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. No summer movie special this week. Nothing really coming out to the theaters. Uh, what is coming Wait, out? Wait, 24th? 24th? Smosh the movie. Oh, jeez. That is something you need to all bust down the internet to go watch. No, no you don't. We're not talking about that this week. <laughs> we have some other stories to talk about. Uh, this week on the show, Steven is obviously here. Hello. Matthew is cackling over in the other side of the state. And Rodrigo is right in front of me, smiling like usual. Hey, man. Cackling? Cackling, you know. Cackling? You're going to be cackling because this story made me laugh uh, insanely at the idea of it. But just today, Sony won a bidding war. A bidding war against two other studios for a movie based on, get it, emojis. Yes, the characters we use to signify the words we can't just put down in a text are coming to the screen. It makes sense. Does it make sense? Yes. How much How much money is DreamWorks making off of that movie, What If Feelings Have Feelings? What's that thing called? Inside Out? Pixar with Inside Out. Yes. Essentially, it's now a a landscape where they're actually buying words. It's like the Lego movie. They bought a word, and then they made a movie around a loose concept of it, and they called it the Lego movie. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure this will be called the Emoji movie, but... People are interested in familiar things with a good story. So I haven't seen Inside Out yet, but it's got Mindy Kaling and I love her. So I've heard good things about it. I figure that this is probably, at least short term, the new face of things that people are are putting their money on to try and uh, turn into movies. You know, Rodrigo, I think when the Lego movie got announced, people kind of scratched their heads too. Um, But that turned out to be a pretty huge success of a movie. Do you think we could, I mean, I'm, am I jumping the gun and being a little critical of an emoji movie? No, I don't think you're jumping the gun, but I think the Lego movie observation is very shrewd. Uh, I think um, there have been movies made with less of a premise than the emoji movie. Like what? Um, like what movies? Like oh. uh, there's Rock'em Sock'em Robots, the movie. Oh, oh that's a good point. I guess in that Battleship. one, that one, I guess there is an implied action yeah. in that they are going to be rocking Rock, and socking each rock. other. Sure. Plus, it's got um, Hugh Jackman in it. Right. Was that one actually a Hasbro or Mattel movie? I don't think so. It just, it just seemed like that's what it, it was. It just lifted really, really heavily from the idea of Rock'em Because Sock'em. the Battleship I, movie was... That was a uh, Hasbro, Hasbro movie. purchase thing. And that's that's the thing that I'm really scratching my head about on this emoji thing is okay so there's a bidding war over the emojis no one yeah. owns an emoji no so they do who emoji, created the emoji? emoji come from a company oh do they yep okay. it's a japanese company and they've just this and that's because the, the word emoji has become more like a um uh a common word i suppose but that i don't know what the company is but that group that mm-hmm. creates the emoji, from what I understand, mm-hmm. um, they like everyone who has a phone that can have emoji on it. That company that you get your service from or your phone from has a contract with that company to show the emoji. Just like, you know, if you send it to somebody who doesn't, they'll just see a bunch of weird boxes. Right. Right. Or in my case, you'll see the text equivalent of the emojis mm. before I downloaded the emoji program. Now, Stephen, this project is uh, being co-written by Eric Siegel and Anthony 
Leonidas, I'm mm-hmm. guessing how his yeah. name is pronounced. Yeah, he's the one that, uh, <laughs> this is Sparta guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is... He, he fought, he fought all of them, now he's, he now uh, he's directed the Kung emojis. Fu Panda, he gets the Masters uh, television show, uh-huh. and now he is co-writing and directing this emoji movie. It, did it surprise you? I, I believe Dead, uh, Deadline uh, was the one uh, writing about the story exclusively. They said the other two companies were Warner Brothers and Paramount. I mean, I, you know, what, I mean, what does that tell you about emojis? That, that was it really had this hot of a commodity, or do you think it was just that good of a script and pitch? Because they said they had full, you know, storyboard breakdowns of the whole movie that they were pitching around at studios. You think you think it's the word emoji, just the concept of the film that these studios are grabbing at? They're trying to get this cultural zeitgeist of a film out there, or is it just that they actually had a good script? Uh, I think it's like Matthew said that this is, you know, a hot thing. So why not try to market off of it if everyone's going to go on it? I mean, uh, a lot of people thought it was really stupid when they said, oh, we're going to make Angry Birds cartoons. And if you watch those cartoons, they're not they're not horrible. They're mm-hmm. not fantastic either, but they are a base entertainment for those people who want to get their Angry Birds stuff. So what, there's some other little I, I I think it's a dumb toy. Some little kids like it. It's like these little fruit things that are in the supermarket is the basis of of this uh, toy. The annoying line. orange. No, it's not annoying orange. Um, but it's my youngest just loves it, and I watch it. And I'm like, well, this makes no sense. Had <laughs> breakfast foods. No, it's like fruits and grapes and kiwis and all this stuff. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But he's the one that enjoys it. So emoji movie, Angry Birds movie, pixels. You know what? Not, I'm not the target market on that. Here's, here's another premise. Like there was a highly successful video game based around piñatas. Oh wait, what what is that? Viva, a, Viva Piñata, yeah, 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 which yeah. then they turned into a Saturday morning cartoon yeah, show. Yeah, really. Well, right. CG show. And it's like, what is what is the premise of Viva Piñata? Is like you kind of shrug and say piñatas. Piñatas <laughs> are piñatas are alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's well, a I fun mean, game, super fun game. Well, I guess the thing that's that's you know in this deadline article, they never mention anything about the Smiley Company. Um, no, they just say they're like emojis are a thing from Japan. Yeah, but they, they never mention which in the United States the Smiley. From what I'm reading here, it's the Smiley Company licenses the right mm-hmm. for these emoticons to be Run used in cellular Boston. phones. And so I, you know, nothing. Whoops, stupid, uh, stupid Kanye. Uh, yeah, pop ups. They suck. <laughs> um, but there's nothing in this article that talks about, you know, license actually licensing this. So that's the weird part. I just have a, you know, I've got a story about roses. I don't, I don't know what's what's something that's licensed that's fairly common that uh, that you would probably want to go to the parent company and say, hey, is it okay if I write a movie about this? Spam, spam the movie. Yeah, so nobody's nobody's going to Hormel. And uh, saying, Hormel, we're going to do a movie about your spam stuff, but I wrote it up. I'm going to pitch to Hollywood and all these people are going to buy it. And then suddenly Smiley Company or Hormel is going to come knocking and say, hey, man, it's about spam. It's about our stuff. We need some spam. That, that's the can one thing that's mi- that is what's missing from this article. And that's what that's why I was like, why would they do a bidding war? Now, yeah, well, maybe they're trying to keep that on the low. I, I, I don't think they necess- they want they may want people to think that emoji are this like free organic thing that's around, but in fact, they're a company's intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, and I'm never quite up to date on my intellectual property copyright understanding, 
they couldn't just get around this company by saying, well, our emojis that we're using are completely well, and different. See, looks. that's, that's they're, the they're, thing. They're, they're, I don't know that different. they could use the word emoji. Yeah, they probably wouldn't be able to use the mo- word Interesting. emoji. But. Well, actually, emoji, if you go back and you look at the uh, thing, it just says um, literally means picture character. Mm-hmm. So right. that is a common word in Japan. Not associated necessarily with this company's thing. I think you, like could make a, you could make a serious argument that yes. in the United States, right. where this movie is going to be produced, it is. Mm. Hmm. Well, I think uh, go ahead, Matthew. The one, the one thing that we have to keep in mind is that when Stephen and I were children, there was a morning cartoon show about the three stooges who were all dead, but they were cyborg superheroes. So dumber things have happened. In oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at all the cartoon shows from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is the equivalent of, of those dumb cartoon shows, I think. <laughs> yeah, this really, is what we I mean, do like, now. I, like I said, I mean, Angry Birds gets the stuff. People think that's silly. Um, you know, people are still all up on Flappy Bird and doing something with that. So, I mean, if it's and this is the thing, if a studio is willing and here's the other thing, too, if the studio is willing to get in a bidding war for something mm-hmm. that's great for the people that are pitching that. Let's mm-hmm. hope that all of us have an idea or a script that we try to sell to Hollywood that suddenly puts us on the blacklist or the, uh, uh suddenly gets us a, on a, on a huge bidding war. That's all really good. The next thing though, is the movie actually has to be made. You sure. could actually buy this up and never make sure. it. Sure. Sure. So that that's, that's the second part to this, to this story. Well, it'll certainly be a hot topic to follow in the next couple of years while Sony develops that. Can't say hot topic. That's uh, uh, that's true. <laughs> the hot topic movie. Uh, so you know the Don't basis of Zach on about that. It will happen. <laughs> it will. The you know the basis of Zach on film started because Stephen realized I had not watched enough movies in my life, and so he said, uh, "We're going to force you to watch them and just record talking about them." And we had a list that Stephen was working off. It was the. Uh, what did it come from? Oh, it was some editing book on some, the yeah. history. And it was like, really seriously, though, beyond just editing, you need to watch these movies because it talks about cinematography and lighting and all this other stuff. And if you haven't seen it, you really need to. Right. So uh, there were probably two or 300 movies in that book. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, BBC just came out with a list of the 100 greatest American films. Your list, I don't believe, was curated down just American. There was a lot on there. Uh, or, or was or it? Most of the, and this was something that somebody were, had criticized uh, recently sent us an email recently and they were like, oh, I'm a film student and I was very interested in this. And then I was saddened because you didn't list any foreign films on your, there were no real foreign films on your list. There, were, it's all, like, there were a handful. Yeah, there, there were a handful, but yeah. most of these were true American because it came yeah. from, because it was talking about American cinema. Yeah. Sure. And uh, those items that were on the list were on the American Film Institute list as as well as the, um, maybe it's just AFI. No, what was the uh, uh, film preservation uh, government. Uh, oh, group. yeah, from the Library of Congress. Yeah, Library of Congress. And so that's why they were on right. on those lists. The BBC just came out with a list of the top 100 American-made films. And so I was interested to see how many did we do according to this BBC poll. And from my count, we did 23 of the 100 on the show. Uh, and I was, you know, there was a couple of them I hadn't even heard of before. Number six was Sunrise. Anyone heard of Sunrise? Is that uh, after Sunset? No, that was 1927. Yeah, 1927. F.W. Murnau. Well, there's that. Uh, Then we didn't get to uh, Godfather Part 2. Watch Godfather, though. Godfather's number two. Citizen Mm -hmm. Kane's obviously number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then it goes Vertigo, 
2001 Space Odyssey, Searchers, Sunrise, Singing in the Rain, the fabled lost episode of yeah. Zach on film. Yeah. So sad. Then Psycho, Casablanca, and then Godfather Part 2. So we saw the all, we did the top all but, 10. We did yeah, top we did 10, the top but, 10 but yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Um, did you have a chance to like look through and see if yeah, there's we anything sh- we that should we should have done? Night of the Living Dead. Which what number is, number is that at? 80 something on the list of movies here. I can't find it. All right. I would have I would have loved to um, you know, at the beginning of the shows a lot of the time we had Zach do a plot recap mm-hmm. real quick. Mm-hmm. I'd have loved to hear him do Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Yes. Well, what's Mulholland Drive about? Oh man, if you Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's the it's a proverbial mind screw, my friend. Uh we did did now did you No, do it's a literal mind screw. Tree of Life. Tree of Life was my I had two that of my picks of on there, which was yeah. Tree of Life and, and Twelve Years a Slave. slave yeah. Rounded out kind of the top Tree of, of Life the list. was that Brad Pitt thing that made me so sad. Yeah, the Terrence Malick Brad Pitt yeah. thing. That was beautiful. Yes. Um, you should have done Groundhog Day number seventy one. I love. Now that. I actually had seen Groundhog Day. I will yeah. plant my flag mm-hmm. in that one. And we should happy. have done just to sit here for four hours and talk about it. Koyana Squatsi. I which, don't even know what that is. It's hard to describe. Have you ever like watched a movie in fast forward with like music playing in the background that doesn't necessarily relate to what's on your screen going in fast forward? No, never have. If, and then you've never seen Koyana Squatsi. Mm. Uh, you know, there were a lot of movies on here that we've certainly talked about in major spoilers, like Star Wars and mm-hmm. Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So there's some... Johnny Guitar. Um, now, what about uh, uh, Woody Allen? We never watched any Woody Allen films. He had Annie Hall at number 23. I've heard a yeah. lot about Woody Allen. I don't believe I've actually seen any of his work. There's some really good... I mean, Annie Hall is really good. Um... What else have uh, bananas? Uh, uh, a sleeper. Cairo is pretty S- good. Sleeper is awesome. I have a, a soft spot for what's up, Tiger Lily, which is basically uh, Woody Allen inserting himself into dubbed bits of, of uh, Japanese spy flicks or something. It's it's nice. It's well done. Interesting. His uh, his recent stuff kind of seems like the same movie over and over for me. It's like they, he'll get a new ingenue to play the lead girl. But then it will be the same movie for mm. me anyway, and I know that's a terrible thing to say about somebody who makes movies. But it's one of those moments where I stopped watching because I watched like the same three Woody Allen movies in a row. One had Uma Thurman, one had somebody else. So, uh, uh, the writer of the f- article on Slash Film said how it was horrible that nothing from the Coen Brothers or Paul Thomas Anderson made Ooh. the list. Specifically, No Country for Old Men, Fargo. Uh, there will be blood or boogie nights. Well, all, and, all left off the list. And did the BBC go in and give reasonings why or what they used for the um, identifiers uh, or for the? Uh, according to what they did was they got sixty-two international film critics hmm. uh, from a diff- bunch of different mediums. They then each critic submitted a top ten list, and then they calculated the top one hundred based off a point system oh, from okay. where they ranked everything. So it's. How many people? Ten people? Sixty-two. Sixty-two people's 62 opinions. With a, or the, with the top ten list. So there you go. That's, that's pretty not, Yeah, that's not unreasonable. No. The fact and, that Christopher And I don't Nolan know how many. But, yeah. but that right there could very well be why, right? So it's like if a couple of people had Boogie Nights at number ten, yeah. it's not going to have enough mm-hmm. weight to make the list. Right. I'm just stunned that Heaven's Gate made the list because I only know Heaven's Gate as being a massive money sink that basically wrecked a studio. I've never been able to sit through the thing. 
Well, there you go. Vindication. Well, and again, you're looking at you're looking at critics, uh, sure. which is a little bit different than the American sure. Film Institute or well, but it is very much like the um, uh, film society in which anybody can nominate. But then it comes up to a bunch of critics and scholars who then decide which ones go into the uh, film preservation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you look list. at Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead is on this list because of cultural impact and charisma. There isn't a whole lot of heavy craft in that movie. I mean, it's it's well done, but it's very straightforward and put together. And maybe maybe that's the thing. It's very straightforward and put together, and it just steps you from step to step. But I don't ever watch that movie and think about how awesome the cinematography is, except when Johnny busts through the door. So there you go. I've now changed my own mind. Hooray! <laughs> uh, was there just anything else that you didn't see on the list that you thought might... Uh... Deserved didn't a spot in the top hundred. Didn't, didn't see. Didn't see that you thought deserved a spot in the top one hundred. I was going to say I, uh, I thought Birth of a Nation was ranked awfully high at thirty nine. Yeah, yeah. I I only see. Um, let's see. I only see the Lion King as mm-hmm. an animated film. I don't think. I'm just really surprised. I saw any others. I'm surprised ET is on the, on the list. Yeah, I mean it's I'm a good not, movie, but it's it's, uh, it's another one that's there from charisma. Yeah, it's it's all a commercial. If you want more cartoons, Rodrigo the Searchers is in the top ten. That thing's full of cartoons. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know people can go over and check out that list. And no uh, Breakfast Club on, on there. Oh yeah, no Breakfast Club. Are, are no, any of are any of his movies on there? Um, any John so. Landis movies so. on there? So yeah, you're screwing over John Landis, who I think you know, spoke a to a generation in there. Didn't, didn't Landis do Groundhog Day? Uh yes, he did. Okay, so there is okay. one on there. Uh, but none of it, the none of the uh, you know the teenage coming of age flicks that. Uh, do you mean Hughes? I mean John Hughes. John that's Hughes. who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Hughes. Yeah, yeah, I don't see any John Hughes. Interestingly, I, there is a Woody Allen on here. Crimes and Misdemeanors is. There's actually a couple. Yeah, Annie Hall's in the top like 25 or something, too. Oh, okay. I thought we said it wasn't. Touch uh, of Evil needed. Yeah. Touch of Evil is Which great is... If for no other reason than to hear Charlton Heston try to do a Mexican accent. <laughs> or try to play a Mexican in general. Yeah, that's just... Uh... Yeah, which is really weird because um, with Touch of Evil, again, it would be, did these critics see the original theatrical release of touch of evil because in was it like they would 90, have to be a hundred years old because in 95 or so 96 uh they decided to go back and relook at touch of evil and orson wells had written out like a book's worth of notes on how the film should have been edited because what ended up happening was uh orson wells was kicked off the movie Right at the end of the production, he was locked out. He was not allowed to edit the film. The studio went in, edited it, and reshot a bunch of stuff so that it would be what the studio wanted. And so in 95, 96, somewhere around there, um, the studio went in and – or I'm sorry, um, a group went in and found Orson Welles' original editing notes and edited the film the way Orson Welles would have wanted it edited. And it actually is a much better film that way, but – Touch of Evil that you would see today would be the Orson Welles edit, not the original studio edit. Look, the fact of the matter is nobody has actually seen Touch of Evil all the way through. You just <laughs> you just start playing it. You go through the whole single shot, yeah, colossal yeah. opening, which is great. It's really yeah, it fantastic. Really 
then it really drops off at the end. It, then it really it like, starts to get. Then confusing. the big thing happens that kicks off the movie. They yeah. turn on the lights and they open the doors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's just a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, you know, lists are always great. People can complain about those all the time. It's fun. Uh, the big. Well, you know, everybody uh, loves a list. Everybody loves a list. Go watch. Go listen to top five. Different show. Yeah, 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 they're all they're all one giant show. A uh, big item that I want to talk about today that's a little different, but it got me thinking about a couple of different things. Is this article I found on Variety that said uh, Kanye West, uh, which disclosure, I really like Kanye West, uh, and Steve McQueen, director of Twelve Years a Slave, did a short film titled All Day to play at the Los Angeles County uh, Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially, what has happened is you know Steve McQueen before he started doing. And uh, while he's still doing some of his features, um, he did a lot of film art installations Right. that he would do these uh, short films and they'd play for a limited run uh, in museums in a certain places. So he teamed with, teamed with Kanye and he shot a new music video. It's like nine minutes long. It's this all one take thing. And they, did, they debuted it and like Fashion Week in Paris. But now it's going to do uh, a couple week run at the LA Museum of Art and... And then it's done, and I'm sure it'll eventually make its way online, I would assume, and it, I don't know. It's a lot of McQueen's short stuff you can't find online, because they just show them in installations and they're done. Uh, and just this idea is interesting to me, of big directors doing work that's still going to take a lot of time and cost money. I mean, a nine-minute one-take is not going to be a short, a small task. And then just play it in a museum for people to watch there. Uh, does that interest you, Rodrigo, in any way? Like, having to go to a museum to watch, like, a short film? Sure. I mean, there's... Uh, so, there's the... When you, when you talk about art, there's mm-hmm. the immediate medium, right? There's, like, this film. This film is art, right? By most definitions. Um, regardless of what you think of the people involved, it's art of some type. Um, but then there are other factors to art, like um, the presentation of it, the time of it, the immediacy of it, the limitations of it. And I think one big factor of art that a lot of us in the, uh, I can't believe I'm going to actually say this, information age um, kind of overlook or don't think about because everything is so available is... Um, that limitation of having to go someplace to see something of existing in that moment in time and then going away. Mm -hmm. That's something that we don't get a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of temporary art out there. You see people who, um, make like little pebble patterns, like gigantic pebble patterns out on a beach. And then the tide comes in and the art is gone forever. Mm -hmm. You can take pictures of it, but it's not the same thing, right? It's the same thing here. Even if they took this and they shown it online, it's not the same thing, right? Because um, you're not in the space. Because, you're not. Yep, you're not exactly. seeing it the way it's projected. I mean, you, you know, depending on how they do it, it could be projected onto multiple things, not just a single screen. Sure, and that right. could change the depth and the dimension of, and, of and what you're just, interacting with. And just being there with a handful of other people, right? Right. It's a different experience. It's like what Stephen says about going to the theater as opposed to my thing of wait and watch it in my living room. I admit that I'm giving something up when I watch a show in my living room rather than in the theater. And I think that, you know, we have a really, really nice museum here in town and I take widget to it once in a while. 
and there's stuff there that is purely a museum experience. I think that if you put that together with, you know, something heavily artistic, even if it's a film from, you know, Steve McQueen or other guys who starred in movies and then passed away and somehow now direct films again, it's, I mean, it's something to where specifically you've created this limited edition to some degree. And I think it's, it, it's almost like collectible art. You'll never get one if you aren't there to get it. I think it kind of goes to the uh, – we had a major spoilers poll of the week a couple of weeks ago asking, do you prefer something recorded or do you prefer something live? And yes. as much as I love – and I can't even find the recording anymore uh, – one specific recording of the 1812 Overture, I still think 1812 Overture uh, sounds best when you are in Red Rocks and they're actually firing off real cannons uh, during during the finale. Um but I've heard other renditions of the 1812 overture and it just doesn't sound as good. And so in this case, going to see an installation piece, it's really part of being in that moment in that place. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it translates to other outlets. So I don't think we'll see this go online. And if it does, it's going to be, it's going to be really lessened. Mm. Do you think, that is was a major pool of when directors used to tour movies. You know, then it it was like the spectacle, like well, a fair, like almost thing where it, the fair is in town, the movies in town. Let's all go. Uh, you think it, that's it, it, part of the spectacle? But I don't think uh, art installations are not spectacle, right? Okay, art installations are supposed to be uh, consumed, as Rodrigo said, for a limited time by only the people that are able to go and see it. Uh, when you're doing a traveling around with the movies, it is drop everything that you're doing and go see the movie as it rolls into town. Indie films and um, indie cinema are relatively close to – I don't want to say it's the same thing as an art installation, but there are very few independent cinemas, which means that they're not going to be showing a whole lot of stuff. And the stuff that they are going to show isn't going to be mainstream. So it moves it away from that commercial market Mm -hmm. and moves the stuff that's shown in a lot of indie theaters into the realm of art. Mm. And so I would, the closest equivalent would be the indie cinema scene. Okay. In my opinion. Yeah. And I've been to some very small, I remember there was one in Atlanta. What was it called? The black box theater. Somebody may know it, uh, but it was there on a peach tree. Yeah. Um, and it was literally just this really tiny building all painted black and they were at most showing one film a week and then it was gone. And if you didn't see that indie feature there and this was stuff that was even even more indie than uh, Aronofsky's Pie when it first came out, uh, that's what would be there and then it would be gone. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm mm. equating it to. You know, a, a couple months ago I interviewed uh, – Oh, guy, yeah, the, the Davy B. Gravy's mm-hmm. tiny cinema who converted a little tiny trailer into uh, a thing where he shows eight millimeter films. You think this is kind of the same thing or do you yes. equate more, more to the no, that's, traveling? I would, show? I would totally equate that to an art piece because okay. it's being yeah. in that little tiny theater and seeing a little tiny, little tiny film, eight mm-hmm. millimeter film uh, is what that experience is about. Do you, do you think things like this installation have an ability to, to come around and be more popular. Cause I've never heard, I don't, you don't hear really things about that. I mean, rarely ever do you see museum things promoted in general, 
But do you think this is a viable outlet for creative people to get their work out there? I mean, what, where's a sculptor going to show his stuff or a painter going to show her stuff? Um, it, you know, why not? But, it's but, just, but, but it's just another film. outlet. It's, it's just another film. outlet. But again, we don't, we, do we know what it's about? Have, have we seen it? I mean, is it being projected on a film projector or is this video? And like I said, do, are there other things as part of this art install, part of this installation right. that incorporate multimedia or multiple sensory inputs that move it beyond just, Hey, I've got this independent film I want to show. And so we're going to go show it here. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it kind of doesn't matter though, because just putting it in a different space and saying, okay, well, here's this film. You have to stand the whole time. There's no place to sit. Just that right there, that's going to change your experience mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if you're just downloading it or streaming it or something or watching it at home in like a super nice home theater, mm. either way, it's already changed your experience of it. The fact that you had to, where is this being shown? What, what? Uh, LA County. Oh, the fact that you had to spend, you know, an hour and a half finding a place to park in Los yeah, Angeles, yeah. you know, that changes your experience of it right there. Uh, this also made me think about uh, when I saw it was two years ago, Spielberg and Lucas went on this, mm-hmm. this, this interview and then they kind of said uh, they saw a, f- a near future of the current Hollywood system imploding. Like a couple $250 million budget films will bomb right in a row and the whole landscape of film is going to change and essentially what it seemed like they were describing is more like a broadway thing where you're paying 60 dollars a ticket to go watch a film does this kind of fit in that same way where uh it'll for well they talked about creators having to go different avenues besides film they were mainly talking about uh, like TV, HBO, to get their work out there. I'm not. I'm not sure it's the exact same. I mean, there's elements in there from what you're you're rephrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the article, they were talking about how there would be movies that would literally last in the theater for a year because they were so good or so spectacular that you would have to pay the sixty dollars to go and see, um, and that would force people to go to the small screen television. I I don't think what. McQueen and and Kanye are doing is the exact same thing. No, I don't. I don't. uh, What they're doing is an installation piece together. I don't. I don't necessarily think that this is uh, either either of those guys saying, "Well, I sure need a new outlet for my stuff," because they don't. They're Mm -hmm. both very successful. Yeah. Um, and completely mainstream outlets. So I think this is them like just running into each other at a party and being like, hey, I love that thing you did. Like, I love that thing you did. Let's just take over a museum. Mm. Yeah. And to some degree, when you listen to what Lucas and Spielberg are saying, it's kind of the equivalent of, in the future, we will have flying cars. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying that it won't happen. But it's kind of based on speculation. And even if these men are very very learned men and very, very together in the ways of making movies, they're still kind of talking through their hats in a lot of ways. So, yeah, no, it's, it's the same thing, only different, only different, the same. Mm-hmm. If uh, that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, sure. No, I mean, it, this seems like this interests me uh, since doing Zach on film. Uh, 
like film as not just a movie like I got into uh, like experimental stuff like Steve Brokaw and like weird things like that and so this I felt kind of felt fell into that same thing of they're playing with the idea of like what you can do with film instead of just make a movie or whatever have you ever been down to the university when they've done some art installation pieces that are that incorporate multimedias Mm-mm. you might no. want to go check it out occasionally they'll do something there at the moss thorns that's um really kind of spectacular where like one of uh, chai watts students who is the in the multimedia arts mm-hmm. will create something that then is supposed to blend with um you know the sculpture or painting that they're also doing and as you're experiencing this maybe you're seeing a sculpture that you're looking at the sculpture from all the different sides and looking at it and then right next to that is a multimedia piece that allows you to look inside the sculpture or there's a making of video that runs next to it mm-hmm. or they've got some weird trippy animation thing that goes next to it. If you would take just those video pieces and watch them outside of the exhibit, they might be nice, but they wouldn't make a, a lot of sense until you've seen it alongside the other piece. Mm. Uh, occasionally, they'll also do something campus wide. Uh, they did something. I don't know. I didn't understand the project because I didn't really follow up with it. But some student went on <laughs> campus one year and she just draped. No, literally the, the project was she just draped black cloths on all of the lampposts on campus. Right. No explanation. I mean, you'd have to go in and investigate if you really wanted to find out what was going on. But that was her art piece. And it was mentors is what it was called. No, it wasn't called that. <laughs> um, but it, but that's but that's what the project was. Same way when they do the little door project or whatever the door project is in uh, uh, Central Park is yeah. also another one, too. So mm. it just it's just varies. There's different outlets to get your stuff out there uh, right now for mainstream, you know, getting your stuff out there and even for small producers and and uh uh creators it's it's online putting stuff online mm-hmm. um you know there are some people that will only distribute their stuff on a usb stick and it's mm-hmm. like okay here's here it is you can't copy anything off of it here's this usb stick it's got my film on it i'll give it to rodrigo and maybe five other people and when those people are done they're supposed to pass it on to someone else to see it (laughs) and then you just keep passing it on that way and it never goes online it never goes anywhere else a lot of people may have a buzz about it but the only place you can see it is if you've been given one of those usb sticks Mm, interesting so it's just and it's part of that matthew said a moment ago viral it's part of that idea of oh everybody wants to see it there's all this demand 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 and you can't see it because only five people can see it at a time and providing that someone is passing it on that's the only way it, it gets out there in a wider wider viewing audience. So yeah. it's just a different way of expression, I guess. Yeah. I, I really don't have a problem with that, with heard, what they're I, doing. Did I ever tell you about the weirdest film experience in my life, Zach? I don't believe so. I watched a – I don't want to call it a student film because it was actually a pretty good film. But it was <laughs> – it's hard to describe. It was projected – on a moving crowd of women in white. So these women would walk by wearing white and the movie was projected across them and they were like kind of walking back and forth and moving around. So there was sort of a screen and sort of not. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating. It was amazing. Couldn't tell you what that movie was about. But it was one of those moments where having been there, I felt like, yes, I I experienced something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I have no idea. But I experienced (laughs) something and I enjoyed it and it, it stuck with me. I thought I had told that story on Zach on film before. No, I don't think so. That's but cool. it's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, 
Anything else that happened big this week that we should talk about? Ant-Man did okay at the box office, brought in about $52 million. Well, it, it, Well, it's interesting about that is because it fell under everyone's expectations of how much money it would make. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still making money. Right. Uh, there could have been a lot of hesitation about it. Fortunately, there seems to be a lot of positive buzz, so maybe like Inside Out, maybe the second week will be stronger than the first week. Is yeah. I guess my only thing. Although I do see a lot of naysayers going, uh, uh, here it is. This is the moment where Marvel stumbles. Oh, sure. And it's like, eh, no, not really, because this is an unknown. This was really an unknown property uh, going in. And uh, I think it really had a lot of people going, I don't know about this. More think, so than Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I think the success of Ant-Man is that it still has a positive critical reception. Yeah. You would think a film yeah. that dropped its director and then started production less than a year ago would not be ranked as high as it has been. So it still seems like, well, the Marvel system is really working well. And there are there are a lot of reviews that I've read from professional critical critics that are kind of like, I sure was ready to say this movie would be a disaster, but... Mm-hmm. And I think that's a problem as well. You know, we've, we've talked before about how if the movie doesn't make its money in those first two weeks it's out the door and something else comes in and how, you know, Steven's projections are almost always right. And it makes me mad, but people's expectations and the projections and the, you know, the thought processes about how a movie should do or will do is Mm -hmm. almost as important as the movie itself. The perception of whether a movie is successful or not often doesn't have a lot to do with whether the movie makes any money or whether the movie is actually any good it's that public perception of it. It's that zeitgeist of the movie. And this one has been a real kind of a, well, it's better than I thought it was kind of zeitgeist, mm-hmm. which from a Marvel perspective feels like a little bit of a letdown, which is where people are like, well, oh, this is the one where they screwed it up and it's all downhill from here to yuck. I don't know why they talk like Goofy. They just do. For me, I, I really want to see Ant-Man. I may want to see it in the theaters just because so many people were ready to call it a fiasco, sight unseen. And now many of those same people are going, oh, well, maybe it's okay then. Mm. Uh, go, go see it in 3D. Everybody says it's really good in 3D. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'll finally go watch it this week. I went and watched Trainwreck oh, how was last that? week, and it was uh, it was hilarious. It came I, in second place. It did. it did. It did pretty well in the box office for... Um, what it was. Mm-hmm. And That's that Amy Schumer thing, right? Yeah, Amy Schumer uh, starring that. and writing the, and then uh, Judd Apatow directed. Uh, it was hilarious. I thought I was going to puke at some points. John Cena has is in some of the funniest scenes uh, of the film. They're uh, just hilarious. If you've ever seen an Apatow movie, it's pretty much the same where laugh. Apatastic. Yeah, hour straight of laugh a minute and then it's 45 minutes of good character building and then 15 minutes of resolution slash funny cool. uh, which some which can seem slow at times is when you go from credibly funny to emotional character building things uh, yeah. and every time I watch one of his movies especially the last two I've watched which is this and uh, um this is 40. They all feel like, oh, these could really be probably tightened up by like 20 minutes. But then I start thinking of all the plot lines and the characters he's developing. I'm like, well, if you would do that, you'd have this and cut an entire character of this film. And then it probably wouldn't be as good. So I'll allow it. <laughs> Which is a, just a weird thing of uh, 
like director style almost where it's like um this is what he always does and it always works pretty well so i guess i'm not gonna hate it again this time (laughs) thing but it's really funny you should go watch it if you haven't seen it there's not much coming out this week anyways uh anything else steven what are we gonna do next week you guys are gonna be gone in nerdtacular yep so it's gonna be all you yep all zach all the time we'll figure that out making shadow puppets Zach, Which is really Zach gonna be is, hard on a uh, audio podcast. Yeah, it'll be amazing if I pull it off. Zach yeah, is I, going to uh, review a bunch of movies that only have one person in them by himself. He's gonna do Castaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna do Moon. You should, uh, Zach. Maybe you should go. Uh, remember if, when you watched the um, was it the Italian film that you'd never seen before, and um, and you recorded your reaction while you were watching. Oh, it. the film where they freaking cut that eye open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Dang it. Oh yeah, yeah. You should uh, you should do something like that again. Oh, I should do that again. Yeah, oh, but not I'll with find... the same film, but with something different. No, no, something different. Yeah, yeah. like well, if, Nazis must die. If anyone has any suggestions of what I should, yeah, a short short film watching. like short fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Oh, tops. I I have a suggestion. Light bulb for from you. Rodrigo. Have you seen the short Mama? No, the one uh, that the movie, the the, uh, the uh, Toro movie is based on. No, 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 no. I recommend that you watch that. All right, it's super short. Okay, it's just a few minutes. Well, uh, challenge accepted. Is it on YouTube? Yeah. Well, I guess that'll be coming next week from Zach on film. Me peeing my pants. Uh, that's it for this episode. Head dot com. You can find this podcast posting page where you can give your thoughts and speculations of how many times I will pee my pants while watching the short mama. Uh, while you're there, at least, you know, go to Amazon.com and buy me some adult diapers to wear while I watch The Short Mama. It's not going to cost you any extra, and I'll much le- and I'll greatly appreciate it. And st- so will Steven, because it'll help run Major Spoilers week after week. Uh, the money that we get back from Amazon, not the adult diapers. Right. I mean, it helps us work long hours. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. We're all wearing them right now. <laughs> We've got three more podcasts to do tonight. <laughs> I just had a catheter put in, so. Well, there we go. More catheters for Steven. Hashtag catheters for Steven. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Zach on Film. We'll see you next week. podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.